Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. What a beautiful song. Thank you so much. The Great Commission song, the Commission song, and as you shared about the history of the church, I, Pastor actually shared with me the a document about that, and the motto was to make Jesus Christ known better, which goes perfect, perfect song for the history of the church and the future of the church. I am Jim Halstead. I am the founder and pastor in Go and Tell Ministries. You got a little brochure about that uh, ministry. Matter of fact, I have pastored for over 35 years with uh, three denominations. I've also been a special education teacher in East Allen County Schools for 10 years, often bivocational when I pastored. Matter of fact, Floyd and I, we, uh, we led the Taylor University golf outing for pastors for five years in a row. And I, Floyd, I didn't know, is this the church that you were pastored with when we were doing that together? And as I have, I've pastored for 35 years, I've taught special education, I founded the Go and Tell Ministries. And it's the purpose is to equip the church to share the gospel and to make disciples. Because I've realized that's it's kind of missing in the church today. And as I, as I look back, as I've retired from the pastored, I was retired from special ed teaching, and now I literally travel the United States doing uh, go-and-tell ministries as a faith-based missionary. I reflect on Jesus' word when, you know, when he said the great commandment that it, the purpose of life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, when he summed that up as the great commandment, I've realized in my old age that that really is the meaning of life. That is the purpose. It's to love Jesus with all our heart, and it's to love others. That, that sums it up. And, and I only realized that in 35 years of ministries, but I think I grasped that even more so as I taught special education for 10 years. Because I, I want you to think, life is about relationship. It's about your relationship with the Lord, Jesus Christ, and your relationship with other people. When you think of your favorite teacher, when you think back of your favorite teacher, I'm pretty sure no one's thinking of lesson plans and tests. You're thinking of what? Relationships. The relationship you had with your, your teacher that encouraged you, inspired you. Matter of fact, when I taught... It just summed up the purpose of that. I, I actually taught at New Haven Middle School several years ago, three or four years ago. And at the end, I was a bivocational pastor. I was teaching special ed at the junior high. And at the end of the year, I actually told my students, by the way, I'm not coming back next year. I took a position at Southwick. It's an elementary school. And at the end of the day, my class made me a card. I actually have it in my car. And on the outside of the card, it was written by a 20, 25 special education students in middle school. It said on the cover, we just want you to know that we're going to miss you. And you open it up, they sign their name, and they put your favorite student, because I told every student, don't tell anyone, but you're my favorite student. <laughs> and so some of them actually marked out, no, they marked it out, he never liked you, he liked me. And, and so on getting outside of the card, it says, we just want you to know we're going to miss you. You open up all the signatures, and in big, bold print, it said this, but that doesn't necessarily mean we liked you. And if that's not the best junior high card, I really don't know what is. But then the, the last year I taught was uh, I retired in teaching in 21, May of 21. I, I, I got a student as, in Southwick, if you don't know, it's a kindergarten to second grade school, uh, 700 students. 
That year we had, I think, 300 Burmese students, five Burmese translators, two Spanish translators, free breakfast, free lunch. Uh, it was a needy community. And I received a student, and I'm going to share some of, about my, my students today, but I'm going to change their name for confidentiality's sake. And I'm, I'm going to call this student Matthew. I got Matthew. He was a Burmese student, a kindergarten child, a child with autism. And when I got him on like a Wednesday, they said, oh, by the way, he's, he's probably not going to talk to you until he gets to know you. And on Friday, he was on early release. He left early. I was literally on my knees, zipping up his jacket, and I looked at him eye to eye, and I looked at him, and I said, Matthew, I just want you to know I love you. And his first words to me were, Mr. H, I love you. You know, it's all about relationships. Well, what was nice about that moment, my knees locked up. I couldn't stand up. So the next thing I know, I go, Matthew, you got to help me. And he's trying to pull me up. Then the principal walks by and says, Mr. H has fallen. <laughs> and so... Everyone's trying to get me up, but what I remember about teaching junior high, teaching elementary, it's all about relationships. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's all about your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And the text we're going to look at is Galatians chapter 5, and we're only going to look at the second part of that verse. And as that verse comes up now, it says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Join me as I, as I pray for a blessing on the word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you today, celebrating 90 years of history in the past and also looking forward to the ministry of the future. And I ask now, Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, as we look at this text, I'm just going to simply break it down to three points. The first one is this is the only thing that counts. You realize at the end of life, uh, what matters. Matter of fact, I just performed a funeral last month. And every time I perform a funeral, I always quote from Ecclesiastes 7.2, where it says, Death, it is better to go to the house of mourning than a house of feasting, because death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. Because you realize, at funerals, you realize what counts is relationships. It's not things. It's not what you acquire. It's relationships with the Lord Jesus Christ and your relationship with others. And with that, I want to ask you a question today. Let's say today you found out you only had 24 hours to live. What would you do? 24 hours right now. You know, when you begin to think of that, I don't think anyone begins to think of playing the lottery. You think of relationships. You think of what? Whom do I need to call to tell I love? Who do I need to call to maybe ask for forgiveness, to reconcile? Maybe I want to call my child and give a blessing one last time. Who do I want to hold for one last time? And when you think of that, what you would do for the last 24 hours, if, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I'm not really sure what I would do. But I do know someone who knew they only had 24 hours to live. And I know what he did. And that's right, it's Jesus. And in John 13, I want us to look at that text. He's going to die on the cross within 24 hours. And it says this in John 13, 1-4. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. 
And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. It goes on to say in verse 3 to 4, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And Jesus, with only 24 hours to live and less, as we look at this text, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. He was a servant. You know, when he washed his disciples' feet, I don't think he just got on his knees and looked at the feet and washed them. I think as he was washing the feet, he's looking at them eye to eye and he's giving a blessing. He's giving the last word of love, of affection, of a commission, of a challenge. It's not in Scripture. And I think he personalized it to every disciple. He washed his disciples' feet. Later, he was going to go on to say in that text, a new command I give you is what? Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. Jesus modeled that. The only thing that counts is having a relationship with others and loving them. And he goes on to say in verses 14 to 15, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, when we talk about evangelism training, often people think this, that to be equipped to go share the gospel at the courthouse at Allen County on a soapbox. And maybe God would call you to do that, but that's not what I'm thinking when I do training. When I do our Go Tell Evangelism workshop, I'm thinking this, to equip you to begin to pray for the lost by name that God has placed in your life. Who has God placed in your life? What extended family members? Neighbors? Coworkers? The person you see at the coffee shop, the person that's in the bowling league or the softball league, someone that God has placed in your life sovereignly, supernaturally, that you could share the love of Jesus Christ in deed and in word. That we are commanded to make Christ known better in our sphere of influence that God has placed us. Because God wants us to wash our disciples' feet that He has placed in our life. So I told you, I taught at that junior high. I was only there one year. When I got there that first day, I got a student. I'm going to call him Adam. Adam was an 8th grade student, African-American young man who was 6'2", 180. He looked like the purest athlete I've ever seen. And when I got him that day, I looked at him. I go, oh my goodness, do you play football or basketball? And he looked at me and he goes, funny thing you say that, Mr. H. The coach has already asked me three times to be on the football team. I wonder why, Adam, I wonder why. And as, as we talked that week, I found out that he uh, came from a dysfunctional home and he lived with his mom, several siblings and cousins, and he had to, after school, watch his siblings. 
But he loved to play football. He loved to play basketball when he could, and he wanted to be on a team because he's never been on a team before. And at the end of the week on Friday, he came into my class all excited. He goes, Mr. X, you're not going to believe it. I almost made the team. I go, what do you mean you almost made the team? He goes, my mom said I could be on the team, but yet you had to have a physical, and the free physicals are passed, and we don't have the money. Mr. H, I would have been on the team. And as he left, what he didn't know what happened that morning. You see, I accepted Christ when I was 17, and my parents never went to church growing up. And it was through Coach Mustin, through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I came to know Jesus. And what I found out that morning, I got an email that Coach Mustin had just passed away. And I was considering to buy flowers for his service. And then I thought, once Adam left my classroom, you know, Coach Mustin never was a guy about flowers. But I bet you he would like me to pay for his physical. So I called the athletic director and said, hey, I don't want you to let Adam know, but I'm doing this in memory of Coach Mustin. How much money is it? I'm going to pay, tell him, get him to the doctor. Adam came into the school Monday. First thing, came into my class right away. goes, Mr. H, you're not going to believe it. Someone said they believed in me. They paid for the physical. I'm on the team. I'm going to practice tomorrow, and I'm playing on Wednesday. I go, hold it, you're going to play on the game on Wednesday? Yeah, and he left the classroom. Guess who volunteered to be on the chain gang on Wednesday? I was holding the 10-yard marker, and the game came on Wednesday. The visiting coach is right here, and I've got the chain, and they hand it off to Adam. First time, he got five yards. The second time they gave it to him, he ran 70 yards for a touchdown. Now, what was funny was when he got in the end zone, he only went to one practice. They did not cover what do you do when you get in the end zone for a touchdown? He didn't know what to do. So he looked around, and he spiked the ball, and he began to dance. Flags are flying because you can't do that in junior high. The coach began to yell, what's that kid doing? It's like he's never played football before. Uh, coach, he hasn't. He's only had one practice. He had two touchdowns that day, 100-plus yards rushing. He was all excited. Came into class the next day, and I go, Adam, that was incredible. You're an incredible football player. It was so exciting to be there. And then he shocked me. He said this, oh, but Mr. H, I'm much better at basketball. And I'm like, hold it, Adam. And another kid, oh, Mr. H, he's really good at basketball. And I'm like, where's that come from? He goes, oh, Mr. H, they don't hit you in basketball like they did last night in football. <laughs> well, what he didn't know also, my son is the assistant basketball coach at Grace College. He played basketball at Grace College. He played basketball at Snyder. He was a a great basketball player. He actually played on travel teams at Spies. I called up his old coach at Spies. I said, hey, I know a kid. He's a pure athlete, raw talent. Can I help get him on this team? I'll work with his mom. We'll get him to practice. We'll get him on the team. And I got Adam on that travel team. Matter of fact, after practice, after school, two times a week, I would take him to a church gym and I would teach him the fundamentals of basketball. I'd help him get to practice. Four months later, it's February, after one of the practices, I had him after school. We sat down, and he's catching his breath, and he goes, Mr. H, I got a question for you. I go, what's that, Adam? He goes, why are you doing this? I go, pardon me? He goes, why are you doing this? I assume you're doing this because you run me so hard, you know I'm going to be so tired the next day, I won't give you any troubles in class. <laughs> you got me, Adam. You caught me. He goes, no, I haven't. Why are you doing this? Hey, Adam, there's more to life than basketball. There's more to life than education. The purpose of life is 
having a relationship with God. Do you go to church anywhere? He's never went to church. I looked at him. Can I ask you a spiritual question? He said, yes. I go, Adam, if you stood before God and he would ask you right now, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? No, it's a big question, Mr. H. I said, I know. He said, I try to be good. I try and help people. I said, I know, Adam. I'm proud of you. You're working hard at school. But God's standard of goodness is so much greater than our standard. I go, can I ask you some questions according to God's standard, his moral law and how you're doing? He said, okay. I said, one of God's commands is thou shalt not lie. Adam, have you ever lied? Yes, Mr. H. What do you call someone who lies, Adam? A liar. Another command is, thou shalt not steal. Have you ever stolen? I want to remind you, Adam, that cheating at school is stealing. (laughs) You know I've done that, Mr. H. What do you call someone who steals? A thief? Another command is, thou shalt not commit murder. And Jesus said, murder is having anger in your heart. Have you ever done that? He, He said, yes. I go, Adam, you've just admitted to me that you're a lying, thieving, murderous person at heart. And we've only looked at three of the Ten Commandments. I go, Adam, if you stood before God, would you be innocent or guilty of breaking his law? And I could see conviction on his face. He goes, I'd be guilty. Adam, the scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. Would you go to heaven or hell? I'd go to hell. I go, Adam, does that concern you? Do you know what God's done for you so you don't have to go to hell and you can have a relationship with him right now? And he said no, and I had the awesome privilege of explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ to Adam. And 30 minutes later, on that gym floor, we were on our knees. He repented and professed faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God wants us to be a servant to the people he's brought into our life. Not only that, Jesus that night he betrayed. What did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. But we also know he did something else. Later that night in Luke chapter 22, he went to the garden to pray. You know know this text. And Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. As Jesus was praying to the Father as he was going to the cross, he's thinking of one thing, of glorifying his Father, of doing the will of the Father even even if meant dying on the cross. I want to ask you, in the past two years with COVID, have you gone through those hardships where you don't necessarily know where you're going, you're not sure how things are going to be provided? You're crying out to God, Oh, Father, help. But then you realize, Oh, God, you're sovereign. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. You know, back Floyd, when we knew each other in 2006, I left the church that we disagreed philosophically on some things. And I left that church in March of 2006. My wife had just overcome brain surgery. She was a stay-at-home mom. I had a senior in high school, two upper elementary kids, upper elementary students. My wife stayed at home. I resigned from that position, and I had no job. I had no income, and I had no idea what I was going to do. And then the, my son's travel coach called me and says, hey, we got a tournament in Maryville. Can you go? And I'm like, well, I'm available that weekend. I might as well. And so I'm driving my son to that tournament. And while we're driving, and, you know, I'm 33 going up to Maryville. It's just country, country. 
I'm just praying, God, I don't know where I'm going. I'm not sure what's going to happen. All I know is I need a job. Provide for my family. I don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? Jesus on the cross, Father, not my will, but your will be done. As I was crying, and while I was praying that God nudged my heart, I didn't hear his voice, but he nudged my heart, and he said this, look at your son. So I looked in the rearview mirror. My son was in the back seat looking at a DVD player. And when I looked at him, the Lord impressed upon me this truth. Jim, your Stephen doesn't know where Maryville is. He doesn't know where the gym is he's going to play. He doesn't know the hotel where the team's staying. He doesn't know how the meals are going to be provided, but he knows one thing, that his father's going to take care of him. And the Lord oppressed upon my heart, Jeremiah 29, 13, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I began to praise God. God, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how it's going to be provided, but I know my Father loves me and He's going to provide. And right when I made that declaration to the Lord, He pressed upon my heart, look at your son one more time. So I looked in the rearview mirror, and when I looked at my son this time, he's laughing. And the Lord nudged upon my heart, and He said this to me. Jim, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to enjoy the ride. (laughs) Can you enjoy the ride when you don't know where you're going? You don't know how you're going to get there. You can enjoy the ride because you know your Father is going to take care of you because it's not about my will being done, but it's about His. And I've realized the only thing that counts is a relationship with God, my Father, and relationship with others. But not only that, in that text, in Galatians 5, 6, the second part is this. It's about this. It's about faith in Jesus. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, when Paul's talking about in faith, it's just not faith and faith. That's our country today. People have faith in karma, faith and faith that's going to work out. That doesn't get you to heaven. It's faith in the person of Jesus Christ. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end is a way of death. There's a lot of people who think they're good, they're righteous, faith, they believe in things, but that's not good enough. Matter of fact, I read about a, a couple, they were bungee jumping in the country of Colombia. This happened last summer. Yacencia was the girl's name, and she had a boyfriend, and they were 89 and 90 of the jumpers. And the boyfriend was right here. They both had the harness on for the bungee jump. He had the bungee jump cord attached to him, Yesenia was here and just had the harness. And the guy who was doing the show gave a thumbs up to her boyfriend, and he got the thumbs up, meaning it says time to jump. But he looked at his girlfriend and gave the thumbs up. She got the thumb up and mistakenly thought it was her time to jump, and she jumped without the bungee cord. They later did an autopsy. Hitting the ground didn't kill her. She literally died of a heart attack during the fall. She literally felt it was her time to jump, but she was mistaken. There's a lot of people today in the world that have faith that they're okay before God, but they are mistaken. They are not. Because what does the Bible say? In Hebrews 11:6, it says this. It says, and without faith in Jesus Christ, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. We know this. In Acts 4 it says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
The church was founded to make Jesus Christ known better because there's a world, there's our neighbors, there's a people God's placed in our life that they do not know Him. And when they die in their sins, the wages of sin is death. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Christian posted a study last summer. They actually surveyed over 3,000 people who get this, who claim to go to church, who claim to be Christians, and who claim to be born again. I know that should be all the same, but it's not. They claim to go to church, they claim to be Christians, and they claim to be born again. And they did a survey and they asked them that if Jesus, Muhammad, and Buddha were all an equal way to heaven, 60% said yes. 60%. People are lost today. They have forgotten that Christ is the only way of salvation. That the only way to get right to God is through the person of Jesus Christ. That the purpose of life is to know God and to love Him. Matter of fact, I, I literally would go and tell ministries for the past 15 months. I travel every weekend throughout the United States. I've been to Phoenix, to Jacksonville, to Des Moines, to Cleveland, Chicago, to Boston. A year ago, I was in Boston. And after I got done with a workshop on a Saturday, I actually walked through Boston, the Freedom Trail. If you ever done that, it's a great experience. And after the Freedom Trail, while we're doing that, we also walked past Harvard University. Now, you know the history of Harvard. It was founded 400 years ago by Pastor John Harvard to what? Equip pastors with the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in our new country. Matter of fact, it was founded, and the motto of Harvard at that time was this. Truth for Christ and the church. Now the motto for Harvard is truth, which is an oxymoron, because when I was there, they announced their new head chaplain. Now they have a chaplain over a lot of religions. They have a chaplain for Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, Evangelicalism, Wiccan. And the new head chaplain over all the chaplains of Harvard, which was founded for truth for Christ and for the church, you know what the head chaplain's belief is? He's an atheist. He wrote the book, Good Without God. Do you grasp our country doesn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ today? That there's people God's brought to us, they don't know Jesus. Matter of fact, in 1 John 3.23 says this, and this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. That the only way to get right before God is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. People grasp their sin. As Elon Musk has been making the news lately, uh, a Muslim guy commented on Twitter, of all things, a while back to Elon Musk. He said this, Elon was afraid that something might happen or thoughts on dying. And this Muslim said this, You won't die before your day, Elon. Anyhow, you were, are a unique figure in this world. I'm only wondering one thing. As a genius, haven't you found out that there's a great creator of this world yet? If you did, make sure you confess this before your last heartbeat. That wasn't a Christian who wrote that. That was a Muslim. Elon Musk responded, and I'm quoting his tweet. Thank you for the blessing, but I'm okay with going to hell. If that is indeed my destination, since the vast majority of all humans ever born will be there. 
Elon Musk does know one thing. He's separated from God and his destiny is hell, but he doesn't know salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. You see, when we talk about faith, the only thing that counts is faith. There's going to come a time when we're all going to stand face to face before God and give account of our sins. And I don't want anyone to stand before him that I know without the blood of Christ covering them. Because not only, as we look back at Galatians, it's not only the thing that counts is faith in Jesus, but the third point is this. It's expressed through Love. See, the only thing that counts is faith in Jesus Christ expressed through love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Paul went on to say in Titus that they claim to know God, but what? Deny Him by their actions. just want to ask you, your neighbors, your family members you pray for, the people that God has placed in your sphere of influence that He wants you to reach, would they say that you're known by love of deeds and of love of sharing the gospel or no? I actually did my evangelism workshop uh, last month in Michigan. And afterwards, a guy came up and he kind of looked bothered. And I'm, I'm standing out by my booth uh, and he said this to me. He goes, I, uh, thanks for your message. Thanks for the workshop yesterday. And I realized in my neighborhood, I've got a neighbor, and I've kind of got on him politically on some things, and he told another neighbor about me. He goes, that guy claims to be a Christian. He's one of the meanest guys in this neighborhood. And this guy looked at me, and he goes, I, I've realized today with your message, I'm going to write him an apology letter, and I need to go confess my sin, because the last thing he thinks of me is love. <laughs> What would your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends say of you? See, the only thing that counts is love. Matter of fact, you know that. We know that because Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where it says what? It says this, If I speak in tongues of man and of angels, but have not loved, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not loved, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not loved, I gain nothing. If we love Jesus, as we pray for others, God will break our hearts with the things that break His heart in other people's life, and He will flow through us with love. My wife says this to me all the time. Honey, I don't know how you do it. You get people to admit they're lying, thieving, adulterous people at heart, guilty going to hell, and they love you. How do you do that? It's because I love Jesus and I'm broken for the people I'm talking with. Do you speak the language of love? You know, when I, when I taught at Southwick, I, I was picking up uh, Matthew one day. I, often as a special ed teacher, you pull kids for a 30-minute lesson. And I had two different other kids with me. I had... Uh, Jaime, who was Spanish-speaking, English-speaking, child with emotional disability, and, and I had uh, Joseph, who was a child with several palsy and, and a speech impediment. And, and so we're holding hands, and we knocked on the door, and, and, and Matthew was finishing a test. So we're just talking. Well, Joseph, his mom would understand everything he said. His speech teacher would, and I would. But if you heard him, you wouldn't be able to understand him. But we're having a conversation. He's just talking like a chatterbox to me, and I'm responding. Then I look over at Jaime, who's, again, Spanish-speaking and English-speaking. 
And he looks at me and he goes, Mr. H. I go, yeah? He goes, you speak his language. What's he thinking? That's not Burmese. That's not Spanish. That's not English. But you're having a conversation with him. And I'm like, you're exactly right. What does Joseph say? What in the world is he talking about, Mr. H? But he knew I spoke his language. And Jesus says to the people that God has placed in your sphere of influence, do they know you speak the language of love for them? Shown as a servant, washing their feet. Because Jesus gave the warning, is it, is it possible that people in the church don't know me? It's not possible, it's probable. And in Matthew 7, 21, we know this text where Jesus said this, Not only he says to me, Lord, Lord, we're the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does a will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, if you love Jesus, it's going to be expressed through love and people are going to see it. So my last year of teaching, again, I'm in the kindergarten, the second grade, special ed classroom, and I got a student, and I'm going to give him the name Mike. I'm going to give his mother the name Mary. We started like August 10th at school that year. August 1st, Mike was living in Michigan with his dad and his stepmom. They abused him physically. They sold drugs. They got arrested. CPS got involved. They moved him to New Haven, to an old trailer park, to the oldest probably trailer in that trailer park, to his mom that he hadn't seen for three years, who was on disability. A week later, I'd get him at school. It was hard for him. And after that first week, uh, as a special education teacher, you're always calling the parents. I called his mom, Mary, at the end of the week, and I said, hey, Mary, it's Mr. H. It's an honor to have your son. I'm doing my best to help him become the man he needs to be. But I've just got a couple questions for you. Sure, Mr. H., what is it? You know, I know you get he gets free breakfast, he gets free lunch, and I pull him in the afternoon, and I notice he's hungry, so what I've done all week is I've just shared my lunch with him. My question is this. I know you're on disability. Are you needing help with food? <laughs> she goes, um, yes, Mr. H. I said, you know, I've noticed also, Mary, it's great having him every week, but I've noticed all week he's worn the same pants, socks, underwear, and shirt. I know you're on disability. Are you needing help with clothes? Well, Mr. H., I didn't think the school helped. I said, you know, Mary, the school doesn't help much, but if you stay on the line, I'm going to give you a name of someone that can help a little bit. But the reason I was calling is this. I know I, I go by Mr. H. I'm his teacher, but I have another title. I go by Pastor Jim, and Pastor Jim helps. Wanted to make you an offer. How about this? Tomorrow on a Saturday, can I come by and bring a couple bags of groceries, a couple bags of clothes, and I'll start doing that every other week for the school year? Could I do that? Oh, Mr. H. She's crying on the phone. Thank you. I went and told my principal, again, this is a public school, I told my principal, by the way, I'm doing this on my own, I just want you to know. She gave me my blessing, and I, I started doing that every other week. It got to late September, I'm at the house, and I'm delivering milk, and the refrigerator broke. I called my wife, and we found a small-use refrigerator that day, and we del delivered it that afternoon. It gets to October, I'm delivering food again, and groceries and some clothes, and I look at Mary, and I start asking about her church background. And she has a ring on it says Jesus. It was her mom's ring, and she had died. And I tried to share the gospel some, and we didn't get very far. And, but she did make a request. You know, I, I think it would really help Mike if he went to church. Could he go to your church? Well, my church was like 15 miles away. 
but there literally was a church a mile from their house. Their pastor was a good friend. I called Pastor Rick. I said, hey, could you call Mary and Mike, visit them? He visited her. He shared the gospel. He asked her to repent. He invited them to church. I don't think they ever went, but as I tried to share the gospel, Pastor Rick tried to share the gospel. It got to November, and Mike's having, he's just having trouble making it during the school day with an emotional disability, with a new move. He was struggling. We had a case conference committee, and we decided that he needed to go on a reduced day because he couldn't last the whole day. So on a Tuesday, we had a case conference, and we agreed, his mom agreed, that he would come to school a little bit later. He'd go home a little bit earlier. And on a Friday at the end of the week, I called mom and I said, Mary, it's Mr. H. I got the paperwork done. If I come by after school today and you sign it, I've got the bus all set up, special education bus to take him, pick him up a little bit later, take him home a little bit earlier. And I've got some groceries too. Could I come by today? Thanks, Mr. H. I went by that day. She signed the paperwork. Monday came and I think that was Mike's first day he missed that school year. Well, if you're a teacher, you know how busy the day goes. I, it's, it's a crazy day. At the end of the day, the principal calls me and, and wants me in their office. And I just have to say, when you're a 61-year-old male and you get called to the principal's office, you're scared. <laughs> so I go in the principal's office, and the principal looks at me and goes, Jim, I'm sorry I didn't call you in earlier. I've called Mike's other teachers. I'm sorry. I know you've done a lot for this family. Sit down. I don't know how to tell you this. I'm just going to say it. Sit down. Sit um, down. Mike's mom died yesterday. Uh, Mike has no family. CPS has moved him to another county. You're never going to see him again. I know you've done a lot. Are you okay? And I was, what? And she shared the same thing. And she paused and she looked at me and said this, are you okay? And this is what I told my principal. Renita, Mike was hungry. I fed him. Mike needed clothes. I clothed him. The refrigerator broke. I got him one. I tried to share the gospel with Mary, and I actually sent another pastor. He tried to share the gospel with Mary. You know, when I stand before God on behalf of Mary, I think I'm going to be okay because I don't know what more I could have done to share Jesus with them. And she goes, oh, my. No other teachers responded that way. <laughs> I said, well, Renita, I just assumed when you asked me if I was okay, you meant before God. And she smiled and said, and that's why we love having you as one of our teachers, Mr. H. I share that today for this reason. The church is not okay today. The church has forgot its mission. This church was founded to make Jesus Christ known better. That's the purpose of the church, and the church in America has forgotten that. Most people in the church in America, 80 to 90% have never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Matter of fact, the latest LifeWay Christian survey surveyed Christians' prayer habits. More people, more Christians prayed to win the lottery than they prayed for their neighbor's salvation. See, the reason Go and Tell Ministry exists is for one reason. To equip the church to share the gospel once again and to make disciples. That's the history of this church. It was founded for that purpose. And I go every weekend to encourage churches to begin to pray for the lost by name, to begin to open up your eyes and look at the people that God has placed in your life and to do what Jesus did. And what did He do? He washed His disciples' feet. He prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And He shared salvation is in Him and Him alone. That's the purpose of the church. It's the purpose 
for us as a believer of Jesus Christ to fulfill not only the great commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but the great commission is to make disciples who can make disciples. C.T. Studd, a famous missionary of 100 years ago. The final slide. Look at this. Change to the next side. slide, please. Well, thank you. That's why you didn't refer to it. Go back. Thank you. <laughs> this word is this. In Matthew, Jesus said this, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these least of brothers of mine, you did for me. C.T. Studd said this, Only one life will soon be passed, Only what's done for Christ will last. I started the sermon to ask you, what would you do if you only had 24 hours to live? Maybe the better thought is this. We should live every day as if we only have 24 hours. And we need to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we need to love the neighbor God has placed in our life extended family member, co-worker, student, neighbor, coffee shop person. And we need to love them in not only sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but indeed for the glory of God. Let me pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.